0: Personhood by Talia Field. The good end happily, the bad unhappily. That is what fiction means. Oscar Wilde. What else is it that should trace the insuperable line? Jeremy Bentham. For the Captive Wild. Hi, Adam. A word's reach extends a speaker's grasp. Or what's a language for? Stanley Cavell. Adam. Hi, Adam. Did you hear your name? Adam. Hi, Adam. It's not your name. But the bird was not ashamed. The curse of a long life... Adam lived like 930 years. Noah, like 950. These are the generations of X. And God saw all creation filling the face of the earth. And lo, it was good. The non-Adam animals bore their names peacefully, but the new wife was not obedient or quiet. There was a bite. And then hiding. And lo, God's garden was ruined. He boxed up Adam and Eve and dropped them, flightless, into exile. You visit the sanctuary, the long, low-ceilinged barracks, in a repurposed factory chicken farm where there are almost a thousand exotic refugees. You're led to think the prison like environment is also an ambiguous form of gift. The cement floors have been smoothed. There are nine gauge steel interior enclosures, windows added, and access to outdoor pens. You wonder how to conceive of this place an old age home? A foster home? A nursery? A hospital? A way station? A final resting place, a zoo, a rehabilitation center, a placeholder, a parenthesis, a pale excuse, a last ditch, an asylum. They stare at those who enter. Some move away, some toward. But everyone stares, waiting for time to end. Time is unbelievably loud or eerily quiet. Some have made a friend after long years of being housed together. Some cannot. Some were never loved and don't know what they've missed or how to connect with anyone. Most have been abandoned by their families, some once, some many times. Some are left with a letter of explanation, apology, desperation. All are heartbroken, and dying of it, die of it. One prefers to live under a box on the floor. A few creep, bent over as though crushed by an absurd ceiling. Some rush for attention, most simply pace. Adam. Hi, Adam. None can move as their bodies were designed. All are crippled. There is a quarantine for new arrivals and a hospital room for inevitable injuries. Some attack their cellmates. Some fall. Some have mutilated themselves to near death from infection, from skin loss, from open wounds. Many are bald. Some are hideous. All are beautiful as sun on water. The weird thing about the energy of sunshine, fruit must make itself open. At first, branches and leaves hide the fruiting clusters, but the beak or hand reaching in begins to feel, which are still hard and tight to the stem, and the heavier, softer ones that come off easily fall into the palm. Then there are those too far gone, with open juices and insects already gorging. To pick at the perfect time, The perfect fruit for that very day is to decide among many, to be grateful for one. The brutality of so much sunlight unabated would beg anyone what to do with all that desire. The leaves withstand and transfer, don't they? To the bark, the roots, the branch, the wing, the flight through the canopy, to fruit. Does that energy flow down into prehistoric soil, or just stay near the eyes, ready to explode, as seeds do across the whole place? Adam. Hi, Adam. In old master paintings, the garden creatures stand in a weird contrapposto. A tiger, a rhesus monkey, an elk, a dog, a giraffe, a large white horse gathered near a tiny pond with swans, peacocks, and a lion, a nearby rabbit and a sanguine cat, a startlingly small ox, a mouse, a heron, an elephant, a goat. No one fights or hunts. All pose in the landscape where Amazon parrots, a pair of macaws, often a cockatoo, sit in the brushstroke trees. Entering the sanctuary, you're shocked at the bird's sheer charisma, imbued with what is lamely called personality. They sit in their walk-ins or along an archipelago of low-strung hemp islands, peering and pinning, raising their wings or feet as you pass, in greeting, in warning, in jest. They seem alive, but painted, A voice grabs your attention from down the corridor. Adam. Hi, Adam. Springtime in captivity, the first task of naming. Streaked sunshine, a gardener, a landscape of colonized and awkwardly incongruous beasts, and two Europeans in a figurative pose. Yet none are depicted who would have truly hungered at the bounty. Insects, bacteria, fungi, cankers, plagues, infestations, sterilities, plaques, gummy or sticky ooze, hardening and dead limbs, and up from the soil, the others, the fleas, the biting flies. To imagine a paradise, one must create favorable conditions for certain outcomes, Scenes of unreal sympathy and limits to what we imagine would be chaos otherwise. In other words, only obedience gives meaning to a command, as a name does for he who names, forsaking all others. Adam. A stolen egg or a stolen bird, which came first? a stolen voice, or something to say in it. Raised alone by a god, hand-fed and made divine through the outstretched finger, the original orphan steps up without knowing the songs or smells of his kind, or that it's okay to fall into flying. Maybe Adam never had a childhood. Born of a word and raised in amorphous fantasies of extreme specialness, Maybe he never learned to find his food, who to love, or the joy of hundreds of miles of flight in a morning. He walked the garden, unable to know he had wings for hands. Belle Happy birthday, Do you Happy birthday, do you Henry <laughs> No individual bird exists, it could be said. Individuals can't, in any life exist without whole populations of their kind. But for parrots, pair bonding in the flock also gives meaning and shape to a lifetime. Just as for Adam, named, God grants a mate, flesh of his bone, and joy and suffering like night follows day. Springtime in the Exotic Wildlife Sanctuary New growth, supersaturated colors, the preening, pungent odors, the strutting and mauling, the shrieking and chasing, attacking, brooding, hackles raised, feathers raised, slicked and pulled, the rushing back and forth along the mesh, along the perches, all eyes on the others, from perch to branch to wire to perch, pursuing with eyes first, beak open, the ruffling of the engorged throat, the twitching of tails. The object of lust has a broom or a bucket, fights back, kicks, deflects the driving energy coming from the longer days, the rise of heat and stimulation of song. What makes song? Does it stop short after one burst or go on for a morning? The syrinx produces chords, an organ we don't share. Sing very fast, up to a thousand notes a minute, like a laugh. Many duets, and pair coordination, or songs entwined in spite of lonely bodies dancing to the music, finding beats and bobbing heads, feet stomping energetically. Poppy. What are you doing? Lucky. Buddy, Cookie. Hey, Cookie. Henry. I Henry. Rainbow. Rainbow. Someone reaches for a camera, and broadcasts the infectious pleasure to YouTube. A million views. Everyone wants a clever bird like that. Bell. Hello, pretty bird. In myth, the snake uses human speech alone from the devil. He uses fruit to point out what it costs to become domestic, a bite, the first payment. Yet, despite human fantasies to the contrary, a wasp, a snake, a wolf, a bird looks right through us to what we've forgotten about a bite, its transgression of meaning. A bite is nonsensical in a grammar of sin. Bell is a biter. That's the story told about him. He takes instant dislike to most who enter, even if only with water, food, or to clean his floor. Bell has learned nothing about the benefits of playing nice. In fact, his is untainted exuberance. He rushes back and forth along the perch or climbs the mesh screaming, happy birthday, then strikes a searing pose. Bell doesn't care what you say about him to him, near him, and everyone has something to say. There is one story about Bell, and he is its villain. He stares, pretty as all get-out, poster pretty. The punctures go very deep because Bell will not let go once he has your neck or shoulder. His talons rip clear to muscle or bone. Tucker. Oh, no. Sanctuary is offered, not taken. Parrots who would never meet on any map or in any forest are bunked close with nowhere to hide, with everything hellishly visible and everything to hide from. At least half the macaws are skin and broken feathers, overpreened, inside-out versions of a bird. Compulsively pruning, the smaller Amazons give each other severe wounds. Overpicked cockatoos pace in bold, bald outfits of distress, or claim a tiny corner to mutilate themselves in peace, ruin the enrichment, destroy the trays, bowls, toys, while well-intentioned caretakers soothe and sing and attend to the lonely and deranged. A few succumb to the effort and dance. Sometimes there's a favorite worker who relieves stress or feels just safe enough and an intimate attachment forms. But then, there's waiting in agony for the footstep, face, voice of that favorite. For every single hour they are not there. The relief of them becomes the horror of not having them. Then back to pacing or rocking, eat your tail if you can reach it, drill a hole straight to your heart. I will mutilate, I will kill myself. What creatures but those associated with humans ever do such things? To lift a foot indicates a willingness to step up, a precious offering. A favorite worker becomes the sum of all movement, all reward, and a well-behaved bird gets carried around, at least until they try to fly, climb, jump off, or grab a bite of passing sleeve. Adam. A real echo of a once-real voice, or vice versa. Hi, Adam, you repeat, entering the back hallway, as though everyone knows who Adam is. You aren't Adam. You are, however, invited to peer into Adam's reflection. It's easy to get confused in the chiaroscuro of white bodies in somber light. Three voices now. Echo speaks the strangest banishment because hers is at once seduction, betrayal, and curse, love empty of denotation. Zeus. Adam is she who makes the sounds, hi, Adam, just as others also make hi, Adam sounds, learned and passed around, to try the signal on, to be seen with that song, make it their own. At least five are now screaming Hi Adam when you enter the cockatoo area. Hi, Adam. Bell Hi, Adam Tucker Hi, Adam. Adam Hi Adam Zeus Hi, Adam. Adama Earth also Adam One man and all mankind and not among the animals Adam animated by breath the sound of a vowel made in godlikeness, the force of a word made of no other material, the force of two words that sound alike, the way that Adam gets separated from Adama, childlike or lacking childhood, all that one bite can pull Adam away from the earth, and both Adam and earth will suffer. The first name embodies the absence of the named thing, a form of magic. Adam is usually first to bid for your attention, then 20 times more, I, Adam. I, Adam. I, Adam. and then her whole repertoire of tricks for claps and smiles, hanging from the wire and doing a little dance in the air with her feet, though Belle will join and do the same trick. It's impossible not to clap and respond because the performance is for you. And what kind of person doesn't acknowledge a gift? Adam pauses and looks you right in the eye when you clap. Your heart sinks. An abyss. Then she starts swinging by her beak and jigging her feet again. And you realize her need is unending. And you will be the one to walk away. Poppy. Lucky (coughs) Buddy (laughs) Cookie Hello Cookie Bell (coughs) Rainbow Rainbow Human touch plays dangerously with desire. The top of the head is less sensitive and the only place anyone should put their hand. Stroking a parrot's body or under their wings is a sexual come-on that leads to flooding hormones and mating arousal, a concupiscence. This only ends badly, painfully. For there is no God before me, says the God, and I am a jealous God. There will be no one before me. Lust, frustration, a joke, the bite, having occurred, cannot be undone. We accuse Adam of not behaving herself, of being a bad bird. Rainbow lifts his foot at you. His wings are raw, his muscles unable to find flight movement, even if given the chance. A foot says, please, encouraged, allowed, but not if he uses his beak to pull himself higher up the arm. Rainbow signals again with a foot, but when the arm comes near, he can remove a finger, tear out an eye, Until shelter volunteers are driven off in need of stitches, missing ears, chunks of cheek, lip, dangerous cuts on the neck and face and arms, crying, Why did he do that? I was just trying to take him out. So much wounded innocence. So many good intentions. A bird pins you when they squint their pupil, like, Hey, or, Ooh, exciting. Our nonverbal vocabulary is woeful, our eyes automatic. Adam expertly mirrors your smallest offerings. It's a form of loving, isn't it? To mimic the beloved, unconsciously match vocal register, nod, and agree. Zeus, wiggle, wiggle. Wiggle, wiggle. What are mirror neurons but the hardwire of seductions, of belonging? The whole way we earn our place by making ourselves fit with whomever is there. Without fitting in, no one could endure childhood. No one could survive evolution. They call it fitness. Adam will live to an age that outlasts all the humans she knows. 80 to 100 years. She was already 40 when she arrived at the sanctuary As a baby bird, either wild-stolen, trafficked, or hand-raised, she responded to her human owner as a parent. And only later, at six or seven, now adult, she falls in love and instantly becomes a refugee. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. What we miss when we look at the cute young bird, snuggly and peppy and friendly, is how, like most parrots, she needs to bond for life and she'll live to love for a hundred years. Despair. Pear-rot. Lightning lifts one of her feet when the visitors pass by. Just a 50-year-old macaw waving hello, wanting your look, for you to maybe stop and wave back. 80 to a 100 years. When the well-intentioned pet owner leaves to go shopping or to go on vacation, to work, to grow ill, to grow old, it is merely a parting. To the parrot, it's betrayal of a soul-murdering kind. To Adam, there was one rule. We are one. But too busy and overextended to think that way Our time with Adam is one obligation of many. We need to go out, see friends, travel. We invite lovers, children into our lives, into our beds, our house. When we're there for a few minutes, okay, calm. But for the rest of the day, Adam is alone, desperate. She can't believe we don't see how lonely she feels. So she hurts herself to show us Maybe we wake up and her stomach's plucked. Or a wing. She writes a love letter in mutilated skin and bloody feathers. I'm moving. I'm getting married. I got a new job. What will I do with Adam? Adam makes herself hideous. In Jungle Canopy, excrement streams behind in a trail of sweetened goo, not to be seen again. In a home excrement coats the floors and furniture and needs constant cleaning. In the wild, nuts and berries get thrown around while eating so the seeds will spread. In a home, it's just more mess. Birds call so loud across thick jungle that, in our house, they make us deaf. They scream when we walk away. They scream when they see us. In many homes, we can't abide the screaming, so we lock them in small, dark places only to find they grow hysterical, scream even more, and begin to kill themselves. In the jungle, there are layers of soaring melodious calls. Now in a basement, we hope no one hears as they offer desperate words all day and night. Put the bird in a drawer or in a garage. Cover her cage all day to force her into silence. A betrayal exceeds all other forms of hurt, Revealing that we weren't ever at home where we thought we were, and you were not who I thought you were to me, nor I to you. Our bond was a lie. We didn't belong together, here, there, or in any place. This was never a family, nothing special. It's total erasure. All that echoes are meaningless sounds. I love you. <laughs> you want a cracker? I so you. <laughs> Adam. The message machine says the sanctuary is already full. Over 600 parrots and no money to renovate more space. They get 500 to 1,000 calls to take in unwanted birds every month. No wild animal, under any circumstance, can find a home in a human place. There is no word for it. No grammar, no way to talk their way into something coherent, no matter how many phrases they learn. There remains only the bite. Then Adam is exiled when the moving van pulls away, or stuffed in a cabinet out on a porch, maybe with a note, usually without water. Disobedience seems like a yes-or-no answer to an easy question. Children break rules. Teenagers break rules. Middle-aged women break rules. In fact, there's likely not a living creature who hasn't disobeyed some rules. The story of God's garden follows in kind, a false conflict between freedom and survival. The wild creature says, Bite, you will not die. But the god says, Yes, you will. Adam instantly sees that rules are mere tricks and nonsense made up by an easily frightened man. It's not eternity, but mortality that's bliss. Fruit rots sweet and falls apart, revealing the seeds it evolved to carry. There is no death in mortality. Springtime in captivity, and one or two birds on rare occasion may bond in the sanctuary. They scrounge scraps into a makeshift nest. But there is no encouraging brooding Because what follows would be a clutch, and that would be too devastating, even deadly. In a nest hidden well enough to evade dismantling, the eggs are removed and boiled, put back dead. There's a reason broodiness is selected out from domestic birds. Farmers want productivity to prevail over family. Domestication eliminates claims to privacy a life cycle de facto and de jure already spoken for. But captive wild animals do not accept punishment in response to bites and hiding. Those are wild ways, not wrong ones. God tries to deny Adam the wild right to deceive. Standing in naked exposure in their pens reveals our shame, not the birds. Very few creatures pair for life, It's hard, it's heartbreaking. Spring in captivity, there's nothing worse. Chased feet, attacked hair, and every angry bite says, Why don't you love me like I love you? Our refusal, dismissal, friendly goodbyes set off blind despair, and they are bereft, stunned, and with nowhere to go, nowhere to belong, all is irrelevant, uninviting, excruciating. Our betrayals are more than injustice. They are the negation of life. Losses that no amount of cut fruit and pasta and nuts, no scratch on the head once in a while, no perch, no plaything, no trip around the room on the food cart can undo. So there's Adam, saying hi to herself, doing her trick for your applause. Like most of the cockatoos, She is not in a pair bond because she was raised by humans and has developed no affinity for birds. You intend your passing, hi, Adam, as a genuine connection. Hi, Adam, she echoes, dancing her feet off the cage wire. Chief. Hi, Adam. George. Hi, Adam. George has no choice but to pace at the far end of the enclosure in shadow. Missing the man he lived with for 30 years who moved to a retirement village, George has eaten off his front feathers so many times they won't regrow. He wears a custom bib. You're told he likes the sunshine song, and when you sing it, he dances and bobs his head, seeming less devastated for a minute. Hi, George, you say, and he'll try to come to the wire to meet you, but Lily prevents him every time with a threatening raised crown and lunge, So he walks glumly back to the corner, though his eye stays on you, reaching out like a hand. As you walk away from Adam and George and Lily and Chief and take a few steps towards Zeus and Henry and Cookie, you hear, hi Adams, rising louder and faster to get you to please turn and look back. Scientists explain that how guilty we feel about what we as humans might owe other beings should depend only on a species encephalization quotient. EQ. The nonlinear regression formula proposes to reveal intelligence and then equate intelligence with consciousness. A raven is 2.49; an elephant, 2.36; a dog 1.2, a squirrel. Humans are 7.6. Scientists defend their right to measure the sheer number of neurons to sum up who is more or less conscious and intelligent. But who can make sense of neurons across species worlds? What common problem can everyone solve? What common problem does everyone have? It turns out that the highest EQ is found in frugivores, and scientists speculate this is because locating and picking ripe fruit demands a complex, trichromatic map of visual space. So, is Adam's problem to have been born in God's garden without a flock, or flight, or any way to prove he can obey the right rules? Hi, Adam, God said in a sing song baby voice, wiggling his finger into the feathered belly. Who's a good boy? Adam. <laughs> and the big guy said, let there be a living room. And then the guy separated the living room from the kitchen and he saw that this was good. So he said, let a garage go off the kitchen. And this was good. So the guy said, let's fence in some grass and add a few hydrangeas. He saw that these were good and these are the generations of X. And the guy said, let us have a pet to amuse us indoors. So he bought an illegally smuggled wild-caught pet store parrot and named it Adam and saw that it was good. And the guy and his wife begat two children and said, let us talk to Adam when funny and cute and ignore Adam when the television is on. And the children wanted to let Adam out of the cage, so the guy said, let the living room not be covered in shit. And it was not so good. And there were years, and there were vacations, and there were nights and days, and the guy and his wife and two children saw that Adam only liked one of them now, and bit the rest if they came into the room, and screamed all the time and plucked her feathers out. Then the neighbors complained, and the guy said, Let Adam live in the basement where no one can hear. And Adam was not in their image. And the big guy got angry because the screams and the bloody biting were upsetting the family. Banishing the bird to the basement was not enough, so he said, Let Adam go forth from the house, and mateless and heartbroken will be his days. It seemed like that's all there was these days. The biters, screamers, liars, and those who couldn't follow simple rules. So it came upon everything that the guy said low. I am going to destroy them, said the guy, along with the earth. But the guy's son, Noah, was a good boy, and of a kind who had learned over generations how to be docile, to listen to the guy's orders, to follow the rules, and never bite or hide, lie, steal, or fly away. Only Noah, the good boy, would survive. This time we're going to do it right, said the guy. This time, no garden, no fruit, no talking snake. This time, it's all surveillance from the get-go, all stage set and props. Flood the planet, start with that. Then we'll get a good houseboat, with cement rooms and nine-gauge steel and good old Noah to steer us to Mars. No more bountiful growth, no more florid ecstasies set among unique forms of life. All will be spaceship and robots and short-snouted floppy-eared baby-faced customers with you my beloved pets i shall make my zoo and covenant you shall live in cages two by two under video and led the pairs will bond and mate in captivity or not at all thus it was noah that did all that he did everything the big guy commanded and he named and paired off pets and lo As the waters swelled and churned and rose up over the mountains, there was only one face upon the earth. Zeus. Lily. Chief. George. And so it was that Noah and his menagerie watched in lonely hope as the birds flew out searching for land. Coming back without any growing thing, they had nowhere to perch but on Noah's outstretched finger. Rainbow. Rainbow! Personhood by Talia Field. Designed and produced by Ben Williams. Performed by April Mathis, Shannon Tayo, and Ben Williams, recorded at the collapsible hole in New York City.